Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning! Morning! Good morning! Good morning? You mean to wish me a good morning? What do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Please go away! Let me speak for the love of God! Is there a more iconic riff than that? There's certainly no more iconic... Banjo riff at least. <laughs> well, that is, of course, Julian Banjos from Deliverance as performed by Eric Weisberg, who sadly passed away this week at the age of 80. I thought that we should start the show with a quick little tribute to that legendary work, but we just won't mention the fact that he plagiarized that. Mm. It was actually a piece called Feuding Banjos. So. There you go, Eric. Yeah, well, anyway. <laughs> Sly dog. <laughs> <laughs> Here's to you, Eric. Well, good morning to you. I hope you're well. Thanks for sticking with us. A good movie Monday. My name is Glenn Cochran and my fearless henchman, Keith Schultz, is back on the mic again. He's returned from the slopes of the Swiss Alps and it's damn good to have him back. How are you going? It's good to be here, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I've missed you, mate. Yeah, no, the altitude out there was good, but I'm going to be back. <laughs> and this week we're joined by Adam Ross, who is the chairman of the Australian Film Critics Association and presents a video series called Adam's Just Seen. He also happens to be a weekly contributor on this show. So, Adam, how are you going? Thanks for being with us. It's good to be here. We're going to pick your brain a little bit later. Um, you're going to give us a yay or nay on a new film called The Hunt, which is now streaming. So, in the meantime, sit back, but feel free to chime in whenever you want to. And our usual suspects are lined up and facing forward. Guillermo from Screen Realm and Jarrett from Monster Fest will turn their attention to what's been happening over their way. And, of course, on this episode, this week, there is no C word. So, Keith, what is news? Um, what's news? So, I've seen that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, the greatest living director, not my words, but Glenn's... <laughs> Is ge- is gearing up Pretty to close. make something, something Glenn would never say. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. Indeed, he's, he's kidding. Certain critic, you know, Indeed. <laughs> what are your thoughts of There Will Be Blood? Quickly. Uh, oh, here we go. Here we go. He's going to try and set me up. Okay. No, classic. Uh, look, uh, to me, total classic. Right. But I mean, I'm a Radiohead like nerd. I went uh, to a yeah. double feature the day that came out. Like, I was to go see maybe Atonement or something. Cool. But anyway, and I was like, ooh, these Dang. movies are frying my circuits. But um. Daniel Day Lewis. Oh, like, I mean, look, a it's, a, it's a goddamn weird movie. It's a it movie is. about oil. Would you would you like, say it's overrated? You know, I used to bow to these things, right? Like because I was like, you can't talk shit about this. It's got ninety eight on the screen, <laughs> right? Um, but I did went. I went. My brother bought me tickets to go see it with um, MSO, like last year or the year before. And mm. honestly, it was rock and roll. Yeah, like, it was. Mad. I can imagine. Um, it's a pretty <laughs> 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 he's trying to wind me up. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, you know, people. Yeah, PTA, like, you know, started off as, like, Discount Scorsese, and then he just mutated into this really weird thing. And by Phantom Thread, like, I mean, but look, other friends who are, like to deep dive, they worship. You know, it's this, it's this Discount Scorsese stuff I, that I love the most. Same, like, you know, <laughs> Boogie Nights, I reckon, best film of the 90s almost. Like, you know, I yeah. mean, it's just an amazing movie. I, I would say that um, PTA is um, Kubrick by way of Kid A. Yeah, well, it's Indeed. Quick, you know. um, but look, I mean, <laughs> I'll actually take the other Paul Anderson. Thank you very much. Mm, yeah, well, yep. look, I, I was interested. <laughs> I mean, he did. He went down this fork in the road, and he then he did. started making weird shit. And I'm like, okay, what is going on? He's here? getting more cooked and cooked. I mean, yeah. I was <laughs> like, he is, he yeah. is, and I think that's vice. that's my problem with yeah. it is because I loved him right up until Punch Drunk Love because yes. that is to me, I think. That and Magnolia, he's like magnum opuses. Like they yeah, are just I think absolute going and beautifully you know, masterful <laughs> films. But then yeah. he just, everything else, the master was so crap. Adam Sandler's in it. I know. That's why you love it. It is. What about Philip Seymour Hoffman, man? Come on. Sorry, yeah. I couldn't take my eyes off the master. And then I was like, well, that's kind of anti-climactic. It's a strange one. And I was a bit, but I mean, as a, you know, as a two-hander and those two performances, I do think they are amazing. Like King yeah. Phoenix, mm. that's kind of a prototype even for the Joker and shit. And I was like, look at him, he's so spindly and weird. He's and amazing in that film. Those sequences yeah. when he gets interrogated, he talks about sex. I was like, there's something going on here. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like a wild animal. I loved it. There um, was, yeah. There was but as sparks. a movie, I mean, he's got more and more uh, introverted. Yeah. Uh, like PTA was a big, you know, mm. ritzy filmmaker, like amazing camera moves, like incredible long takes. And now he's just become yeah like yeah, look, two I, dudes sitting in a room staring at each other yeah. silently. Like. I don't I don't hate the guy like we have an ongoing little rivalry with you know, <laughs> can, like, I just quali- can I provide some context? Yeah. I rate there will be blood 
incredibly highly. Maybe the best film of the 2000s. I know that's a popular view, but I reckon it can be stated. Glenn doesn't quite share that view. I don't hate the film at all. I just think it spirals out of control, which it's supposed to. I understand that, but it goes in a direction I just don't like, don't appreciate, don't enjoy. And I think the films following that just subsequently kind of have a real... <laughs> a real wankerism around them. I think there's a lot of Damn. dickheads that love these things. Sorry, Keith. You know, <laughs> pre- present company <laughs> excluded. No worries, mate. Oh. No, no worries. I mean, PT has got into that kind of rarefied air. Where I guess critically, you're scared to talk shit about him, like because I'm you know, not. The reviews come out, and you think, oh god, you know, like critically, you get, you get, well, a, bit, you get I mean, a bit preconditioned sometimes. But I do. I revisit, and I do love a lot of his films, except the Inherent Vice and Hunt Hunter. Fan of Thread is sensational. Hilarious. Yeah, seen, I saw that three times. Hilarious I, film. I, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so weird. It's, it's bizarre. It's well, it's so funny fun. you bring up um, P.T. Anderson because I read also this week there's a bit more P.T. Anderson news. Did you, are you across this? Yeah, this is why I sort of brought him <laughs> up to be honest. He is uh, casting for his new film. So I saw some info. That's out. not even what I'm talking about. So this is great. Oh, yes. I know what you're talking about. Uh, and it, I do. I did see that as well. What a what a dog with a bit of Quentin as well, I believe, oh, is this involved a Fiona in that. Apple thing? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, no, this is juicy. Made ne- my blood boil. Anyway, go mm, ahead. She's <laughs> never been the same since. Um, but he's he's got a new film, uh, apparently set in the nineteen seventies in California, about a high school yeah. student who is a child actor as well. Apparently, it is an ensemble piece, so it sounds like it could have a may not might have a bit of a magnolia yeah. yep. flavor, at least in terms of structure. So maybe he's going back to Robert Altman. Well, mm. maybe, but let's talk about Fiona Apple just for a minute because yeah, she sure. yeah. doesn't deserve that much more time than a minute. <laughs> like, seriously, like, this is a woman I adored, right? <laughs> I, so like, her Paul. first three albums are, like, just part of my, mm. you know, my fabric and all that. But And back when Magnolia came out, she made a great documentary with yes. P.T. Anderson yeah, about yeah. the making of that yeah, film and their relationship. Yeah, she she's did. come out this week and she's completely sledged the guy saying that they were, you know, he wasn't the perfect partner mm. and he's, you know... But she never said he's like an evil guy. He never hit her, never mm. abused her. No, no. He's just not a perfect partner. Mm. And she wants to throw all this mud at him for That's no right. apparent reason whatsoever. Is it the New Yorker, that piece? I mean, it was really sprawling. It was quite lengthy. But um, I, as you said, mm. people just got these like grab quotes and they went and they ran with it, especially on film sites. And they're like, PTA is like drug addict, loser boyfriend or whatever. But she just kind of said it didn't work out the way. Yeah. You know, I mean. It's a they, bit more scathing than that. Uh, yeah. Look, I mean, they were an it couple there for a while. Yeah. Because, you know, we're like the greatest living filmmaker in this cool, you know, like greatest living. But I mean, just because you're change. famous doesn't mean you just have this like right to throw someone under the bus when well, you're can asking I, about. Can I say, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. She said that the reason she stopped taking cocaine is because she cooked it one night with Quentin Tarantino <laughs> and Paul Thomas Anderson and their hubris in her drug adult state, put her off drugs. I'm saying, Fiona, you should be thanking them. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> They've saved you a lot of pain here. Uh, Tarantino would be like a machine gun. Like at the oh, he would be. I, mean, I thought he was on he, all the time. So I thought, you know. He would make Tony Montana <laughs> change his lifestyle. Because she said that they were talking about how brilliant they were, which I kind of want to hear a recording of. That would have been but, brilliant. Know, been <laughs> I can see Tarantino, you know. It yeah, would have been yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, speaking of brilliant, I thought it was worth mentioning also that this week, Woody Allen's new memoir has been re- <laughs> <laughs> has been released discreetly after being dumped by its original publisher. Mm. The book is called Apropos of Nothing. It's released through uh, Arcade Publishing. Look, the, the Very book, apt title. Look, the book supposedly <laughs> recounts his childhood, his ri- rise through comedy, as well as recounting the ongoing controversy over his marriage and those scandalous accusations. Look, I won't say much more aside from the fact that I'm looking forward to reading it. I am definitely on the Woody train. I absolutely adore this man. He's one of my heroes. And there's also a great documentary called um, Woody Allen. There is. Uh, or Woody. And <clears throat> if this book is half as good as that is, then I am all over it. But I wanted to point out a rather d- disgusting review that I read this week <laughs> uh, about the book, coming from the New York Post journalist Maureen Callahan, you know, Maureen. who said, and I'm going to quote, one of the most tone-deaf, disgusting, bitter, self-pitying, horrifically unputdownable memoirs since Mein Kampf. Wow. That's pretty deplorable. That's staggering. <laughs> so that, I want a copy now. Yeah. Read. I mean, seriously, what a piece of shit tabloid thing to say. That's staggering. Maureen, where's your Annie Hall? <laughs> <laughs> well, she has written a lot of books. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I just I don't like this binary that it's fallen into, you know, like, I mean, and, and not being an apologist in any way, but I mean, you know, there is, there's such conjecture there about this case and no one really knows these details. And the minute that, you know, anyone even tries to remotely talk about his art, it just gets hijacked so quickly. And mm. someone was... um. A, 
writing something about Midnight in Paris the other day, right? And I watched on Facebook and they got six comments in and no one had mentioned the case. And I was like, what's going on here? Wow. Why has no one brought it up yet? And they actually just talked about his art. And I'm like, this is great. Wow. What a great film, Midnight yeah. in Paris is. It is a good one. It's, um, yeah, it's what the companion piece to Purple Rose of Cairo. Back to the future. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, you're right. Yeah. So moving on, someone else who's had a massive influence on my life. This week, we lost another master of horror, the legendary Stuart Gordon. Age 72, I'm devastated by this news. Mm, this guy is right. a massive part of my upbringing, my cinematic sort of, uh, my, my cinematic learning. Like right from the start, this guy was on board. Like, um, let mm. me just go through some of the stuff he's done. Horror, as a horror director, he made films like Reanimator, From Beyond. They're the iconic ones. He also made Dolls and Castle Freak and Dagon. But science fiction fans will know him from Fortress with mm. Christopher Lambert. Robot Jocks, King of the Ants, and Space Truckers with Dennis Hopper. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, drama fans will know his work with David Mamet. You know, he made yeah. that movie Edmund with William H. Macy yeah, and yeah, gave yeah. David Mamet his start on stage. Because yeah, yeah. yeah. he was a man of the stage. He founded the Organic Theatre Company in Chicago in 1969. That produced countless plays, mm -hmm. um, most notably one called Bleacher Bums, which gave rise to Joe Mantegna um, wow. like, and okay. Dennis Franz, which yeah. you, you don't see much of him anymore. No. Is he still alive? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this guy was a massive part of my cinematic education, so I'm really saddened by his passing. Mm. We're going to give away a couple of his films later on in the yeah. show. Good. Uh, so anyway, it's Star Wars week, so let's throw the Jared and find out what else is hitting the shelves. Hey, this is Jared, and welcome to PE class. It's getting increasingly harder to get physical at the moment because all the gyms are closing, they're telling us to stay indoors, but... You're gonna have to get physical like me. First up, Umbrella are releasing a double feature of Joe Begos's BFW and Bliss together. Now, both of these films played every one of our Fangoria Times Monster Fest festivals in October of last year, uh, and both are really cool for very different reasons. Bliss is sort of like a modern vampire tale, whilst VFW is a bit of a throwback to something like Assault on Precinct 13. Um, very cool films and Umbrella releasing them not only in a double feature but a feature laden double feature There is so many special features on these things Bliss in fact has like three audio commentary tracks one of which is exclusive to this release It has not been released on any other release of Bliss anywhere in the world yet Plus some deleted scenes and trailer rounding this out to make it the most definitive release of Bliss in the world Then there's VFW with multiple audio commentary tracks featurettes and a making of also out from Umbrella this week is a new Aussie crime thriller from filmmaker Heath Davis titled Locusts. This film had a little bit of a festival life late last year, early this year, and now it's debuting on home entertainment, direct-to-DVD and digital. Coming out from Disney, now this is insane. Obviously with the current uh, climate, look, I'm not going to talk about the war, they're dropping releases earlier than anticipated. So this release actually ended up dropping in stores late last week and that's Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. I'm going to say very little about this movie because you've already made your mind up whether you're going to buy it or not because if you were even remotely interested in this film uh, you will have seen it at the cinema. Um, I've picked it up and there's a two-hour legacy documentary on the Skywalker saga which I'm really looking forward to checking out. Of course I picked up the 4K UHD so it's got Dolby Atmos which I'm very keen to see how that sounds at home but something that's far more exciting than The Rise of Skywalker is the fact that Disney have issued episodes 1 to 7 for the first time on 4K UHD and I'm pretty sure all of those are exclusive to JB Hi-Fi. Um, I'm not so much interested in episodes 1, 2 or 3 or even 7 for that matter. It's 4, 5 and 6 for me, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi all making their 4K UHD physical disc debut. Now these things have been streaming on Disney Plus with Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos, um, but my internet connection is not that great, so I haven't been actually able to watch them with the Dolby Atmos. That said, I'm so excited because I picked them up as soon as they hit the shelves and I'm going to be marathoning those three this weekend. It's a mix of archival content, a special feature content, as well as some brand new features as well. Um, those 4K UHD releases are three disc sets, so you get the 4K with the movie, and then two discs with all special features on Blu-ray. So yeah, I can't wait to dig into them. Also out from Disney this week is Spies in Disguise, which um, probably not something I typically talk about, but I really enjoyed it. 
It's the new animated feature from Blue Sky Studios. They're the guys that worked on Ice Age and Rio. Pretty much most of the animated films I didn't enjoy, um, but Spies in Disguise completely different. It's got Will Smith as a pigeon, and I love pigeons, and Will Smith as a pigeon is perfect casting. It's loaded with featurettes, music videos, and much more. Eagle are releasing one of the most bizarre movies of 2019, The Fanatic, with John Travolta and Devin Sawa. Now, if you haven't seen anything from The Fanatic, which would be... It just blows my mind because there's that many memes out there with John Travolta pictured from this movie, so you must have seen it. It's John Travolta with a mullet, and the mullet has to be seen to be believed. It's, it's something of... It's just truly magnificent. It is a wig, of course, but, I mean, that guy's always wearing wigs. Uh, and it's also got Devon Sawa all grown up and strange looking. Um, it's definitely worth checking out. It's such an oddity. It's, it's at times funny. I don't know whether it's intentional or not, um, but it's pure crazy, crazy. I don't even know what word is fitting for the fanatic, but you have to see it to believe it. Anyway, that's all this week's releases heading out on home entertainment. And with the current way the world is, which I'm not going to discuss, Embargoes are being lifted left, right and centre on titles, so things that aren't actually due until about April 8th are actually hitting store shelves right now. That means you can pick up Jumanji, the next level, on 4K Blu-ray DVD right now. But I'm not going to talk about that now because that's for next week's PE class. Anyway, thanks and you'll hear me again next week. So we're five episodes into this show and aside from the typical casual banter, we haven't really given you much of an insight into our own film odysseys. Obviously, you've probably pegged me as the genre nut, and if you've been following my work over the years, then you'll know precisely who I am and what I stand for, but if you are a newcomer, this conversation might welcome you into my world. As for Keith, you've probably marked him as someone that's more scholastic. As a man of taste. Uh, (laughs) Has a penchant for the more acclaimed drama. Um, A particular era is unmistakable. In, well, look, some of us need to go through the drive-thru and get the burgers, and some of us need to sample the finer meats. Right, well. <laughs> Zing. Scorched. Well, I thought we would take this opportunity yeah. to go back to where it all began and share our first memories of the movies with you. So, Keith, would you like to share what your very first memory of cinema was? I can, yeah. So, I the first film I saw at the cinema was The Flintstones. Uh, the John Goodman Bit of Spielberg flick. Love there, mate Yeah, apparently So I remember we had this argument I could have sworn blind That Francis Ford Coppola directed it No, Brian he, Levin he I was like I don't know how I arrived at that But um, that was the first film I ever remember seeing At the cinema I loved it uh, The first film I can ever remember seeing Though is Superman The Richard Donner film Which is still uh, Still holds a special place for me mm. Chris Reeve Gene Hackman The boys It, it, it was the first Actual serious superhero film, absolutely. Like they, they actually, it was made as a film as yeah, opposed to yeah. a movie. You know? Still holds up, highly influential. Mm. I think it's probably influenced, probably a little underrated in that regard. That mm. groundbreaking, it, indeed. Richard Donner, great, great filmmaker, uh, amazing music. So I still revisit that film regularly. That's the film I remember seeing firstly, and obviously, as you know, Glenn. I'm a big Beatles fan, so when I was four, the other film I can remember watching was The Hard Day's Night. So they're probably the first two films that I can ever remember watching, which might explain why my taste goes to that era, (laughs) maybe in a subconscious way. But the first film I can ever remember seeing at the cinema is the Flintstones, and then I saw the Mighty Ducks. Stone Cold classic, Mighty Ducks, <laughs> one of Which Disney's there, best ever efforts. There is a sequel series coming oh, to Disney+. Plus. Coach Bombay. He's back. <laughs> He's back. He's back. <laughs> well, my um, my first four memories kind of morph into one for me, sort of a, sort of gives you an impression of where the direction of my cinema. When you were three, <laughs> you watched The Exorcist. <laughs> when, I was, <laughs> when I was three. Here we go. Let me say. Okay. The four movies that I'm going to talk about, E.T., Ghostbusters, Never Ending Story, and Vacation. So yeah. I saw E.T. at the Frankston Cinemas in 1982. I vividly remember laying on the carpet in front of the screen. Wow. Sticky carpet, I'm sure. And that was my first realization of what the cinema is and how big it is. And you know, wow. it's sort of, when you're that small, watching E.T., I remember being terrified when you know all the government guys come oh, into the, into the scene. Me out as a kid. Yeah. But then 1984, five years old, I saw Ghostbusters at the Greensboro Cinemas with my parents. The Never Ending Story the same year um, in Montmorency and then Vacation at the Lunar Drive-In. So that was sort of all the same year. Mm. So Never Ending Story, I remember hiding behind the seat when Mork came out of the cave. You know, that dog with the fangs scared the shit out of me, which is where I pegged the origins of my love of horror. (laughs) Like I remember that fear. And then 
Well, Ghostbusters scared me. Man. That too. Yeah, when yeah, the yeah. librarian at the start, <laughs> you know, the librarian turned yeah. into like the monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That scared me. Yeah. And these are memories I remember having. And it's like, wow, I love this feeling. Like, what is this? And I've tried to sort of chase that my whole life. Mm. Charles Band plays a big part in that. But that's a story I've told many times on another podcast. But vacation, I remember being snuck into the driving underneath a blanket. <laughs> And my lasting memory of that is watching the scene where Rusty drinks the whole can of beer. Yeah. You know when they're having that bonding moment? Yeah. And I just remember like that one image now when I see like an American can of beer, I just immediately think of that. Yeah. And know they're the sort of things that sort of, for me, it's sort of nostalgic and Absolutely. I gravitate towards those sort of genre films. Mm. But I wasn't very sheltered like watching movies when I was a kid. Like, no. Were you? Uh, yeah. No, I was actually. But when I hit, uh, ele- probably when I was 11... So the, I think the film that made me an actual film buff was The French Connection. So I saw that when I was 11 and then I was like, oh, sick, I've got to get yeah. involved in this. Hence, I went everything from that sort of era. Mm. But from then on, I'd watch anything. But before that, yeah, I didn't have access to, to anything too bad. I, I, I used to watch, like, my parents would just watch these films and let me watch with them. Yeah. Like, whether it was bloody Lethal Weapon with the girl in the plastic in the pool dying. Oh, yeah. like, mm. like That was pretty traumatic yeah, for a kid, absolutely. you know. But um, oh, what was the other one? Dead Calm. Yeah. Billy Zane and that. Like, yeah. These are movies that I remember as a real little tacker. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely yeah. loving. But I do remember my dad telling me to turn off my own private Idaho. So, like, <laughs> 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 what's this filth? Oh, that's probably he's probably did you a favour there. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Adam? Uh, that just reminded me of I went to the movies to see Under Siege with my dad, and he put oh, my yeah. hands over my eyes when the boobs came out of the cake. Right? Oh. And then like it was fine for Casey Ryback to like throw knives in throats. You know? Like that was <laughs> yeah, just, that was like, okay. Tony Lee Jones getting stabbed in the head, totally fine. The but, big like, fat titties, no, no good, no. Way, oh. you know? so, but I mean, that's funny. This is bringing back so many memories. Like my parents would watch MA or R-rated. Well, the MA wouldn't have even existed then, but R-rated stuff like Basic Instinct. And mm. they'd say, go to your room. But I'd get in the hallway. And I'd of course. Yeah, you'd yeah, yeah. have to watch from the background. Yeah, and I'd be like, what's going on over here? Um, <laughs> nice beaver. <laughs> but uh, the first uh, the first movie I ever went to see was Tim Burton's Batman. Uh, oh, wow. And I remember my dad took me to Aubrey Cinema, which has got this amazing balcony. And so I just remember the smell of popcorn, like this massive screen. And you, um, if you lean over the balcony, like there's a bit of a drop. And I remember thinking, oh, this is kind of scary. And the movie just kicked off, you know, and obviously like Elfman's score, you know, yeah. um, and it was my first exposure to Prince, I think too as well. So it <laughs> yeah. explains a lot now, but <laughs> I was like, but they used to have those amazing, you know, kind of like tie-ins and I got like this Prince badge. I got this like band Joker bandana. Mm. Um, and obviously well. because it was my first film, I'd never seen Jack Nicholson, you know, like, and, yep. and he's just absolutely swinging for the rafters. Yeah. Like, and I was best like, Joker. God, you know, yeah, my like, bind. And so, you know, <sighs> you have this, A-list movie star delivering this like bonkers performance and I'd never seen and I'd never seen a movie well I'd never seen a movie but I had never seen anything that kind of gothic or dark yeah absolutely I just remember, yeah, just the minute that that, you know, yeah. symbol came up, the score kicked in, I was ready. You were on. swept up in the atmosphere. I was good to we, go. So we both had the comic um, book. My, my nana took me to see Batman. Yeah. I remember it vividly because yeah. I remember, be mesmerized, remember the camera sweeps over the logo yes. for ages. I know, for ages. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and I remember that. Oh, like, yeah. I must have been just so easily influenced because that was like, wow, what is <laughs> yeah, this? Totally. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. And then he like clicks the belt and I'm like, ooh. Yeah, you know, that's like, it. Know? Yeah, uh, yeah. And it, look, and it was such a departure from what was happening on the Batman show on TV too as well. Like, yeah. Um, and I remember they're like, this is a pretty big gamble with Michael Keaton and stuff like that. But dude, I just, I still I'll, dig it. I was amazed my nan was watching it. Yeah. 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 So nan. I, you know, and it made, <laughs> made so much money, you know. Um, oh, it was I, a massive hit, wasn't it? I used to have a deal where my parents would allow me to take like 10 of my closest friends to a movie and we'd go to Pete's Hut as my birthday. Yeah. And so when Batman Returns came out, I was so jazzed. Like I just was just <laughs> There's right? a dark film. And I really wanted to see it. And then the ratings board gave it an M low level violence rating here. Yeah. yeah. And I couldn't take my friends because they go to a Christian school. So we had to yeah. see Beauty and the Beast instead. And I, that's one of my most traumatic cinematic experiences. Beauty and the Beast is great film right? yeah it's a great right. film but i knew in the next cinema people watching batman returns and i was like a, just a buttery guard like head banging i just wanted to get yeah. out there like i was so angry so you saved oh, it for my no, dad 98 the next day and then i just told in detail in the playground all my friends Mate, about see, i reckon that's the, the the best batman film ever it's made it's a wild movie yeah. well, clooney man I would have been in a lot of trouble with the, you know, yeah. Oh, man. Well, there you go. So now you know a little bit more about us and how we formed our cinematic uh, chops. But uh, anyway, let's take a listen to Guillermo, see what's happening up there at Screen Realm. How's it going, everybody? Guillermo here from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. Hope everyone's doing well out there during these crazy times. Looking back at the week that was on Screen Realm, we've got Train to Busan sequel details and picks unveiled. Yes, there's a follow-up to the South Korean 2016 zombie hit Train to Busan. By the way, if you haven't seen this film, 
what are you doing with your life you really have got to get on it zombies take over a train in south korea it's crazy the sequel is going to be set four years after the original film and it's not going to be a sequel per se as director yun sang ho has said it takes place four years after train dubasan it's in the same universe but it doesn't continue the same story and it's got different characters so jump on screenrealm.com to check out a few more details about that film and to check out two of those picks i'm really excited for that one Terminator and Aliens actor Michael Bean has been cast in the second season of Disney Plus Star Wars series The Mandalorian. Now the details are being kept under wraps although the website Making Star Wars is reporting that Michael Bean will be playing a bounty hunter from The Mandalorian's past. It's good to see Bean get a big role again. The last big film he had was probably 2007's Planet Terror so it's been quite a while for the actor. Looking forward to Mandalorian season 2 which is hitting Disney Plus this coming October. We've got some news on the follow up to Mad Max Fury Road. Yes, George Miller is still working on the follow-up. It's not a sequel, it's going to be a prequel, which has been said now for a while, but nothing is exactly being confirmed on that front. But with this new news, perhaps we know a little more. Anya Taylor-Joy, who you may know from The Witch, Split, and recently Emma, she's said to have entered talks to take on the lead role of Furiosa, who was played by Charlie Theron in Fury Road, and Miller is apparently holding more and more auditions over Skype. As of now, they're reportedly aiming to shoot Furiosa in 2021, so let's hope that, you know, this whole virus thing allows for that. Speaking of coronavirus, Australian distributor Rocho Films have announced that they're going to be fast-tracking more and more of their recent theatrical releases for home entertainment via digital. Films like Joker, Hustlers, and The Good Liar are now available on digital, and other films like Go, Midway, Birds of Prey, Just Mercy, Miss Fisher and the Crypt of Tears, The Gentleman, Richard Jewell, Motherless Brooklyn, the way back are all going to be made available over the next two to three weeks so if there is any plus regarding this damn virus it's that we can actually watch some of these films earlier than planned if we miss them in cinemas we've also had plenty of trailers go up a lot of them for television shows that are coming up which is great because binging is absolutely everything right now the trailer arrived for an upcoming limited series heading to apple called defending jacob starring chris evans evans plays an assistant district attorney whose world is turned upside down when his son played by it actor Jaden martell is suspected of a shocking murder it's based on the 2012 bestseller by william landay and it looks absolutely riveting one that i'm really excited for is an upcoming animated series heading to hulu called solar opposites and it comes from rick and morty co-creator justin Rowland. one quick look at the trailer and you'll see exactly how much of a rick and morty style show this looks and it looks fantastic the plot follows four aliens that have escaped their exploding home world and land in suburban america two of them hate the planet with its population and consumerism while the other two love what fun it has to offer they'll have to keep their eye on their mission though which is protecting a living supercomputer that will evolve consume them and terraform the earth check out that trailer i'm really excited for it and basically anything that's kind of like rick and morty i'm totally in for we had Adam Fleet review the new Spanish Netflix film called The Platform, a sci-fi horror film set within a vertical prison with one cell per level. Two people per cell, only one food platform and two minutes per day to feed them from up to down. You know what that means, whoever's left at the bottom probably won't get anything as every level above it consumes more and more and more. It's a clear allegory on society and capitalism and things of that nature but apart from that it's just a damn good sci-fi horror film. He loved it giving it 4 out of 5 stars saying the platform keeps the audience on its toes and although no one could ever accuse it of subtlety it asks us to ponder some interesting questions about society and human nature. It's also original, intriguing and exciting and fans of the genre will be hard pushed to find anything as opinionated or as off kilter as the platform. It also must be said that it is pretty gory and nasty so if you're a sensitive type maybe avoid this one but if you can handle it I really suggest you check it out. We also have a new giveaway up, this is a fun one, it's for the John Travolta starring thriller The Fanatic. Travolta goes all out in this one playing Moose, a rabid movie fan who is obsessed with his favourite celebrity action hero. Moose turns to stalking to get the fan to star interaction he feels he deserves and let's just say things go kind of crazy from there. Released on DVD by Eagle Australia on April 1st. That's it for me guys, make sure you also go to Screen Realm for your schedules for Stan and Netflix in April because you're going to want to know what's coming out during this binge fest. Thanks so much guys, don't forget Screen Realm across social media, ladies. Stay true to the path, young Jedi. Cleave to the precepts you've been given. Remember those who went before and cleared a way for you. Let your deeds give hope and comfort to the living. 
Let your deeds give hope and comfort to the living. Do your best in city or in swampland. Peace over anger, honor over hate. At the end of all your days, one Jedi waits for you. With the dust of Jedi bones piled high like parsnips on his plate. With the dust of Jedi bones piled up like parsnips on his plate. Specifically just their bones. All the soft parts you can keep. It's the bones that have the calcium, so he says. The long feast will be filmed for mass consumption. The cameras Ryan's got these days are unimaginably high res. Despair not for the end that waits for you. Fear not the fire in which your flesh must burn. All the Jedi from all the planets in this putrid universe. Get eaten by this last one, and now it's your turn. They get eaten by this last one, and now it's your turn. Bones, 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 bones. Bones, 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 bones. The ultimate Jedi, who wastes all the other Jedi, has eaten up all their bones. All their bones, bones. Our gratitude to Guillermo, as always. Please visit Screen Realm's website and social media pages. They've got tons of reviews and articles that I've written, as well as heaps of other writers, plus daily content and other cinematic treats. So I also hope you enjoyed that cheeky little number from the Mountain Goats. That's a song called The Ultimate Jedi Who Wastes All Other Jedi Eats Their Bones. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I figured that it's Star Wars week with Rise of the Skywalker Hidden Home Entertainment. So why not make a theme out of it? Keep listening because we're going to close the show off with another unusual Star Wars tune. But right now it's time to chip away at Adam's brain. Uh, yes, Adam. So we've got... Uh, Few questions for you, mate. A little little Q and A. Fire away, <laughs> go. So, Adam, you're the uh, you're the chairman of the Australian Film Critics Association. Can you sort of just explain a bit about what that is and, and what you do? Uh, polishing my badge, you know. As we speak. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, well, look. I mean, I didn't know that there was such a thing as a film critic. I mean, I would read reviews in magazines uh, and the paper. I would always like feverishly like just devour them. And then I was always working in a video store because I used to work in a video store. And then. I still remember this dude came in and whenever I swiped his um, movies, they just cold fell free. And I'm like, what is going on here? And then he's like, showed me this card. And he's like, and he worked for the radio station. He had terrible taste, like the worst taste, right? <laughs> and then like, you know, and, <laughs> and I was like, where do you get this card? And he goes, with this, I get to go to the movies whenever I want. I get free movies from the video store. And I'm like, I would sell my soul for this card, right? Like I would do anything for it. And so... Then I went to, you know, I went to uni and I bumped into some guys that reviewed movies and they're like, I'm a film critic. And I'm like, aren't we all? You know, I was kind of dismissive of like, you know, and, but he's like, no, I'm a professional film critic. I'm like, oh, well, how does that work? And so then I found out about AFCA, which is the Australian Film Critics Association and basically a body of film critics uh, nationwide. Uh, and it unifies us. So it's kind of like, you know, like Highlander. There's a few of us out there, you know, and now and then we clash, you know, <laughs> but like we've, you know, it's a, it's a place for us to come together and, you know, and hopefully not butt heads, but kind of, you know, see the lay of the land. And it's so rapidly evolving technologically. Like, I mean, we're doing this now and podcasting, you know, um, and, you know, I think all of us know that film can be a quite singular pursuit. You watch it in the dark, you analyze it, you write a lot, or you do your own film or podcast. So it's a good way to try and, you know, get people to connect and have a bit of a community around it as well. Um, uh, yeah, I thought, you know, I'm going to meet these people and they're just going to be fully like me. And look, most kind of are in a way yeah. we've, we were just like um, the cable guy abandoned to the video store when we were a kid, you know, um, and it's, we got raised that way. But, you know, so, I mean, with Africa, we've, you know, we've had some big developments over the last couple of years and Glenn has helped a lot. Um, and so, you know, my handle of it has been pretty recent. And But basically we've had to handle the difference between print media going into the digital age. So, I mean, it's not going to, you know, unless there's the C word I can't mention today on the show wipes out <laughs> and we go back to print media you know <laughs> i mean this is the way of the future podcasting and this and that and stuff like that so we can have yeah more connectivity now than ever before so we, with the shifting medias and the platforms changing you know 
the current state of film criticism? Where do you see it? Look, it's become incredibly diplomatic and something like Rotten Tomatoes, you know, like, I mean, some people are whinging because they fought very, very hard to get status within the community and then they're like, that guy's been doing it for five minutes. Um, but, you know, like, I think like everything, you know, cream rises to the top, you know, like, and ultimately too as well, you will assign, you know, criticism. You'll find someone that you like. Or, like me, if you really hate their taste, you read everything they do. And you're like, why, could he, why is he so wrong? You know, like, so, yeah, I know some critics and they've given, like, my favourite movie of the year, like, one star. And I read everything that they ever publish, right? I'm obsessed with them. Like, I read them more than the ones I like. You, you, know? you read a lot of reviews. I look, I mean, I, um, Peter Travers, who I'm friends with on Facebook, a little plug there. Um, wow. That, you know, for Rolling Stone, I just, I, my mum used to give me Rolling Stone for Easter. And I just read his reviews and I'm like, God things like I do, you know, and yeah. there was a bunch of movies that came out that I really loved that were a bit underappreciated, things like Fight Club and even Tim Burton's Batman and he gave them like, you know, three and a half or four star reviews and like him and I are really, uh, yeah. you know, we've got the same taste. So that made me want to get into it. Well, that, that was the same with the way I felt connected to Roger Ebert. Sure, yeah. I totally. mean, it's the cli- they're the cliche names to no, drop, you know, know the, yeah. there'll be a lot of, you know, film critics listening that'll roll their eyes, you know, because no, we we, I, yeah. we listed the Titans Andrews and all that. Andrew Harris. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, Lee Patch. I, I, I look have got respect, you know, for the, the Pauline Cowles. And all, like, I mean, I, mm. look, I've just read some, but now and then I would get a different perspective. And I thought, you know what, you can have a deep dive on this stuff. And and because a lot of people said to me, how do you know so much about movies? And it was getting those big textbooks like Leonard yeah. Mullins and yeah. stuff like that. I used to have them at the video store and I would go through and I'd flip and I'd read, you know, Same. um, cause someone would say, how can you go? Like there might be 15 new releases this week and how come, you know, to pick the two good ones out. And I was just reading. So I just would read the reviews and see what, you know, were the aggregates kind of what was going on and stuff yeah. like that. And so, I mean, it's changing so much now. Um, look, I am an asshole about this and biased about it, but I just, you know, user based reviews. I don't think that they're worth, you know, what they're printed on in ways. Like someone goes, Oh, it's good. A hundred on IMDB. And I'm like, yeah, by some like, you know, drunk redneck dude that just you know i mean and i'm like this guy it's something like metacritic or something else that's got a little bit more of you know i don't know quality control i guess in it having having you just said that i'd like to see how keith crowbars in the next question yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, let me give this a shot <laughs> that was kind of the answer yeah. that was um yeah, so you mentioned you mentioned that actually you mentioned rotten tomatoes, and we do live in a, in an age, or maybe you can give me your perspective on this. Yeah. Do you feel that we live in an age where the film critic, um, the value that we place on it, is decreasing um, compared to how it, when we all look at the audience score on rotten tomatoes? Yeah. Everyone's a critic. Everyone's got Facebook. Everyone thinks the latest Star Wars film is you know Oscar worthy. Mm, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. For those people that do. But so what, what sort of value do you think can still be assigned to a film critic where, say, people who aren't as educated on film yeah. c- can can sort of, I suppose, learn to understand more about it? Um, I, I'm, I'm really big. I mean, this is why I love Peter so much is that Peter just had this natural enthusiasm. And so when he really loved a movie, he was selling it, right? Mm. And, so, and I was buying whatever he yeah. was selling. And that's what I really, really liked about it. And I can find that really hoity-toity. Uh, critics, you know, us talking about PT before and stuff like that, it can alienate general uh, audience members. Mm. So, like, for example, like, say, um, you know, like, The Lighthouse that came out, right? Yep. So, like, if we all have this kind of five-star circle joke about that movie and then some dude who hasn't watched an art house movie in his life is, like, stuck in this four-by-three ratio, black and white, you know, like... Uh, With William. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, I hate critics, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I get wary, but so I try and condition it. I go, look, if you're into the films of David Lynch or you've, you know, seen The Witch and you understand this, like, A24 type of horror and you dig that. Uh, so I try and condition it in that sense. But uh, look, as critics, we're damned if we do and we're damned if we don't. If someone's going to see something based on the marketing materials, they're like, I don't give a shit what critics think. Right? Yeah. Like the movie is completely critic proof, yeah. right? And if yeah. it's based on an existing franchise, no one gives a shit, right? But then, and the studios don't give a shit about us either, right? But then when they've got a smaller movie that it, we see and then we say it's amazing, then they love us, right? Yeah, and that's they it. stick us on the posters, they stick us on the DVDs. Yeah. So if we if we shit can their tent poles, like they don't want to hear about us. Yeah. You know? We get banned for a month from going to the movies. But yeah. But then they're all over us. We've got this small little independent yeah, film, totally, or the, the yeah. film festivals I opening. Oh, and lighthouse. Yeah. Totally. And so I think that there is a value still in that because I do want to pick up a cover and I want to see someone who I trust that give me like a good review. And if I see four or five stars and from a reputable outlet, then I'll, I'll watch. The I, movie. I I agree. But you know what? Like reviews are uh, they're a part of a conversation because people will say they'll trash you know critics and say oh, yeah. like no what's the value of a film critic anymore but they can still say i read that review and it sucked like yeah. they read them yeah. like there is no doubt that yeah, people totally. read them yeah, so they're sure. informed by them I so agree. yeah I mean, there is a value there even if people don't accept it in the moment like no, I they, agree. They, they 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 cite they recite it you know yeah but they contextualize a film like whenever it yeah, comes out sure. oh, we talk about ebert yeah how many times that he review, reviewed 
amazing film that he didn't like and then went back. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's interesting window into, into the history of a film. Which I said I, I connect with what he does. Last week on this show, mm. I told Matthew Holmes that I actually revisited my review of Ben Hall and have amended something I said. You <laughs> yeah. know, like, yeah, yeah, sure. you know, something I yeah. was critical of. I've watched it over and over now and I, yeah. I'm no longer critical. Mm. So. Look, I think that with, especially the three of us, you know, I mean, we would have just, we've been reared on movies. And so we have a real gut instinct. I know whether I like something automatically or not, right? And I don't yeah. need it to be validated by anyone else. And I'm lucky enough to be educated or articulate enough in film that I can justify my, uh, you know, my arguments. It just shits me when I will give this really passionate, articulate review of something that I like, and someone goes, "No, it sucked." Yeah. And then I'm like, "Why?" And they're like, yeah. "It just did." Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like I mean, because I'm really I now and then I'm fascinated by someone's takedown of something. I, my only criticism would be about the modern sphere is, is that things have become so incredibly political, and like even what you're saying about Woody Allen before, yeah. Like, Someone will come, and so uh, film theory is just gone, right? Like, I mean, people are not talking about cinematography anymore. They're not talking about construction. That's They're not point. talking about script. And so what will happen is a review will come out for a new movie. Like, what was that uh, rainy day in New York, right? Yeah, like, yeah. the first three paragraphs of any review on that film will be referencing the court case and, and you know, yeah. and all these accusations. And that's fine if you want to put that in maybe one t- paragraph, but not three or four. And then by the end, I'm like, but what is the movie like? Mm. You know, and it's, so it's frustrating yep. that I know more about the case than I do about a rainy day in New York. Yeah. I find that people are getting distracted and they're getting very worried that if they don't reference the artist's problematic behavior, that somehow they're being dismissive or that they're, um, or worse case, they're endorsing that. Yeah. And I, mm. it, like, so if you do a Woody review and you don't bring it up, yeah. you're an asshole. Yeah, and, I'm you're like, and I'm like, bigot. that's mental. I don't know. I don't get like, I would rather get my facts from a different story uh, yeah. than, and I'd rather know what you think of the new Timothy Chalamet movie. <laughs> oh, you don't want to know what Glenn thinks of <laughs> Timothy <laughs> Chalamet. But you're a film, you're a film critic, oh, so sorry. that's why I'm coming. That's just an <laughs> in-joke there. Uh, he's not a fan of Timmy. But I'm a fan of Woody, so I'm conflicted on the matter. So, so I have, oh, look, I've been rolling my eyes maybe sometimes lately because I can see the bias automatically. Yeah. I'm like, you just shit can this movie. But often they're very worried. You know, like, I mean, recently, like with Green Book, when that came out, and a lot of people, um, I, I went with a few friends and, they had no context of any of the like problematic material and they just loved it. I afterwards, l- I brought up what was happening behind the scenes and like, really? They questioned and, they, yeah. and then they started to question whether they liked it in a way. And so I found that to be a little bit poisonous when people are having a really kind of like genuine uh, altruistic experience, emotional yeah. experience in the movies and then they get home and they get online and they're like, I wasn't raised like that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that a great point. You can, I you love can retract your endorsement of the film, but the fact that you yeah. liked it speaks for the film itself. To- well, same. I mean, I really mm. liked it as well, but I'm, and my friend, he was like so into it and, you know, he's such a bright guy and then he was like, oh, I didn't know about it. And I, I, because I've said this before, people go, I don't like that film. And I go, what parts? They go, the bits on Twitter. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> like the, movies, the bits don't even exist in the film. You know, yeah. they're not even in the text. That's right. So I just think that, you know, like if we were all to be in a bunker and we just got our hands on the Blu-ray, we have no contextualization of what's going on in the, yep. in the world. So I wish we could get back to just that pure mm. art form way. Yep. Like, is it just a good horror movie? Like, I know that the director's a creep, but can we just say, is what's the film like? Do you mm. know? And that's in no way giving them a freedom pass. Like, if you interview them and you want to hit them with hard questions, go to town. Mm. But don't shit can a really rock solid four star horror movie. I suspect you're thinking about you know, Jeepers Creepers, aren't well, I mean, yeah, you? Yeah, you are. But I mean, same thing. Like, I mean, if he releases a legitimately good film, um, I want to say the movie's really good. Check it out, but also know it's made by an accused pedophile. You well, know, like, no, I mean, a convicted pedophile. Well, convicted pedophile. You know, so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you can choose to watch it or not if you don't. But same with Woody. Like, I don't... Rainy Day in New York might be... I haven't seen it yet. I yeah. can't see it because it hasn't been released because of all this shit. But he, it could be one of his best films. But I just don't goddamn know. Well, that's probably... <laughs> so that's a good point. That's probably the thing that annoys me is the fact that <clears throat> this film, this one in particular, has been held back from release. So it's like, it, at least give me the opportunity to not like it. Yeah, I mean? yeah, like, yeah. And, and my thing is too, and even if I'm against the politics that are going on behind the scenes, if it's a lukewarm, you know, crap Woody entry, and there are some of those films, then yeah. I'll just say the same. Like, that's I, right. You know, but if it's another Midnight in Paris, and I'll be like, rock and roll. Yeah. But I don't know because people have got the shits and they're not allowing it to be released. You know, yeah. So. And you never know, like in five or ten, oh, I could be, I mean, I'm projecting here, but say if something happens with a film like Green Book, I mean, who's to say they won't just pull it? I but mean, you know, I mean, absolutely. When, Couldn't like, agree more. Referencing that movie that I brought up before, the, the age that we grew up in, we grew up in an age where there were legitimately provocative movies. 
things, you know, like there were things oh, yeah. like a clockwork orange and basic instinct and stuff yeah. like that. Imagine if that now, one came out today. <laughs> so exactly. So like if basic instinct was controversial back then, and I tell you that Green Book is controversial now. I know. Like, people would think, what went on? In I know. That? We grew like, up with uh, Romper Stomper yeah, for fuck's yeah, sake. Exactly, <laughs> you know, I mean, but these movies, they endure because they do. They Some of them are ambiguous. They light yes. a fire under your ass and you go, shit, like, man, that movie shook me or whatever. Great example. Like yeah. I mentioned Romper Stomper then, which was a really provocative film at the time. Yeah. Well, they came back to Romper Stomper last year and they just watered it down completely. Mm. It was like a yeah, completely yeah. flaccid thing. We would be progressing in our kind of like attempts to provoke, you know, I mean, but movies have become, you know, homogenized in a way that, mm. well, I just find it interesting. Like, they, they play to the opinion. Totally, yeah. yeah. And so you said, here you go, most controversial movie of 1993 versus most controversial movie of 2019, on content alone, it looks like it's a movie from the Bible camp. You know, they'd be yeah. like, I don't get this. Like, why was this movie problematic? And you're like, Peter. Yeah. You know, not, yeah. not like, I mean, when was the last time that a movie came out and because of its actual gore sex content, people were like, man, we can't have this around. Totally. So this is where we'd normally throw to your segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so would you like to do it live at the desk? It would be an absolute Absolutely. privilege for yeah. us to hear and you. Pleasure. You've got me warmed up now. Anyway. <laughs> warmed up or grogged up, haven't yeah. you? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you know, speaking of controversial movies, I'm going to talk about The Hunt, a movie that even Donald Trump was talking about on Twitter. Uh, and this, what was it called? Red State versus Blue State? Yeah. Because um, they'd already made Orange State, so he yeah. couldn't, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and look, this uh, this is kind of like, you know, a, a splash of Battle Royale, a splash of The Hunger Games, which I guess is derivative of that. But basically, 12 people are in a field, they get released, and they are being hunted. And why are they being hunted? And funnily enough, from what I was talking about before, they're being hunted for their opinions on Facebook. But what this movie does straight away is it just thumbs its nose, tongue in cheek. It's like an absolute gore fest, right? <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, and it does this... I mean, look, I don't want to give too much away. I don't really like talking about plot and reviews, but it, like... It's got this absolute false start where you're like, okay, here's Emma Roberts. Here's like this handsome dude from Bad Mums. And then, you know, and you're like, okay, well, these are our, you know, square-jawed protagonists. And then like shit just goes sideways so quickly. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I actually watching? Um, but I think, you know, this is written by Damon Lindelof. Uh, and I think, you know, between Watchmen that he released last year and The Leftovers, he's really emerged to me from one of my favorite writers. Um, yep. And I just, you know, like... Some people have said the politics of this movie aren't as sharp as they could be, but as a, like a slick piece of genre work, like director Craig Sobel here, I mean, the movie moves. It's just so quick, and you, you never really get it. Like the characters themselves, you're thrust into this. You never get a grip of what you're really kind of watching. And tonally, it kind of goes pretty wild. Yeah. Um, and so it's going to play to a very specific audience. I think basically like the guys sitting here, where like the cheap you know people are going to enjoy it. But, you know, I, I've showed it to two, uh, two other people, and they're like, man, this is a pretty wild movie. And yeah. so, but it, it is thumbing its nose at this kind of idea, you know, that, like, liberals can be even more aggressive than conservatives and stuff. It doesn't play – it plays it right down the line. It kind of – it's having it on both sides. And some people have got the shits with that because they're yeah. like, you should authoritatively be saying who is right and who's wrong. But this movie's saying sometimes we just don't know. It just doesn't right. happen that no, way in reality. You know, there's yeah. a complexity there, you know, uh, and – you know, Betty Gilpin is in the lead here. It's just like so amazing. She's great. Like, why she's not a Hollywood starlet is beyond shit, me. shit, man. In this, like, straight away, she's acting with her eyes and she's got this, like, closed mouth American accent. I'm like, <sighs> what's going on here? And then by the end, I'm like, man, she's like Anne Ripley. Like, I mean, yeah. she's just wild. In this. Wow. And when she unleashes, I was like, shit, man, this girl's got it. Like, um, She's the second lead from Glow, that Netflix show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And same, like, a total star-making performance. The yeah. minute that she kicked off in this, I'm like, who is this girl, man? She's like, just rock and roll. But... I think for me, because same, I, I am a centrist and I think, you know, I got splinters on both legs from sitting on the fence all the time. But, yeah. So a movie like this, I'm kind of like, good, you know, it, it's not preachy in any mm. way. It's just saying that if we both, if we descend into violence and chaos and name calling and we play the, you know, the, play the man and not the ball, this is the kind of shit that happens yeah. with machine guns. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> well, this kind of, this kind of, in a way contradicts what we were just talking about, you know, with films not being as, you know, provocative as they used to be, right? Because um, it's a Bloomhouse film and they're starting to really take a political stance or a political direction. Yeah, sure. Um, You know, Mm. they've done Get Out and they've done Us, which will have these parallels to, you know, the political climate. So it's interesting the way they're going. Some people have had the shits because the protagonists of this are conservatives, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, and the antagonists, you know, are these liberals. But, uh, you know, there's some really funny satire that's in there that is absolutely, like, you know, it's completely on point where people are talking about almond milk and what language they can use in appropriation and you can't wear that kimono and all this stuff. I cannot wait to see this. Oh, trust me, like, it made me giggle. Um, And (laughs) and it plays it, you know, plays it both sides, you know, and but it just slathers it, the whole thing in gore. So, I mean, there's a more user-friendly version that could have been just shepherded into Australian cinema but as a movie to have a six pack and then 
It's taken, a, it's taken a long time to get to us this one as well. well look, yeah, so I mean, I think that uh, it hasn't done like, you know, crash out of the box office, but it was released in the weekend, what is the lowest one since 1988? But it's, had, it's had two false starts at the box totally, office. Totally, yeah. You know? so, I, feel, I do feel sorry for the team because I think that this, as we we're saying before, movies have become so safe. This yeah. movie isn't safe. Yeah. Uh, it's not actually saying anything uh, deeply provocative, but it's just, it's playing in that playground. Yeah. I'm like, good on you guys. Like, mm. I mean, just uh, for a bit of context, when it was first supposed to be released, it had a few of those school massacres. Mm. So yeah. they just pulled it, they pulled the plug yeah. on it indefinitely. And, mm. and, and The marketing yeah. materials and the optics of it aren't great because it is literally people screaming running around just being shot so you know like, <laughs> you know, and that's about 90% of the movie so I don't know how else you'd cut and the trailer and the director Craig Zobel directed an amazing film called Compliance yeah totally yeah. a few yeah. years ago yeah. which and is a real Seth Zachariah yeah. so, I, he's a honestly he's a really good craftsman like yep. there's some really great um, John Wick slices of action in this like kind of you know like one two action beats in a single shot mm. and I was like okay it's well choreographed and you know um, the Macon Blair's got this awesome cameo in there too as well like uh, you know from Blue Ruin and Green Room so I, it, it's very knowing to genre fans awesome I would give this four stars I, look it's really polarising and it's sitting dead 50% on Rotten Tomatoes as we were saying before but and that's but that is honestly that is polarising between one star reviews and four star reviews yeah mm. so you just either going to fall into one or two categories the splinters are going to get you but mate I yeah. am a four star guy on this <laughs> <laughs> cool well thanks for that uh, I'm fascinating itching to see this one um, but we're going to be back in a moment to recommend a couple more movies and give away a bunch of stuff Live from America's premier horror and paranormal convention, every Friday night, Scarefest Television brings you guests from the horror and paranormal fields, plus featured movie reviews, entertainment features, and short films. Watch us live every week at ScarefestRadio.com or via Facebook and Twitter by following The Scarefest. Scarefest Radio, the radio you can see. All right, movies, movies, movies. It's time to give away some movies. But first, let's announce the winner for last week's prize, which was a couple of copies of uh, Matthew Holmes's films. We've got Twin Rivers on Blu-ray and The Legend of Ben Hall, as well as the soundtrack to The Legend of Ben Hall. Uh, Keith, I'm just going to reach over and give you a cup here. That's got a whole lot of names in it. I'm going to get you to pluck the winner out of that because um, we had a lot of a lot of feedback on this one. All right. Who is the winner of this awesome? The scene? winner of this tasty pack. Is Phil Heaton. Phil Heaton, congratulations. Well done, We're going to be Phil. in touch with you this week and send you out these signed copies, I might add, of The Legend of Ben Hall and Twin Rivers. So congratulations on that. This week we've got four exciting titles to give away. The first two come as brand new releases from Eagle Entertainment. Our friends up there have the psychological thriller The Fanatic, which you heard all about earlier on in the show, and Big Legend, which is a wilderness monster film that I'm actually dead keen to watch. Cannot wait to get my hands on a copy of this, So, but you're going to get the first one. Uh, and also, just to round off my tribute to Stuart Gordon, uh, we've got the seminal reanimator and From Beyond to give away as well, the collector's edition of Reanimator. All you've got to do is hit us up on social media between now and next Monday. We will choose a winner at random. So comment, like, share, all of the above on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Podbean, and you're instantly in the draw. So now let's round off the show with our final recommendations. Keith, would you like to take the lead? I would. I'm going to... Um I'm going to jump into the 21st century on this one. I feel like I've been been dwelling <laughs> in the 60s and 70s. I'm going to recommend the 2010 Roman Polanski thriller. <laughs> Polanski. Roman. <laughs> this is an interesting episode we're yeah, presenting. Look, we've just, we're providing you with frivolous entertainment. <laughs> uh, the Ghost Rider. Yeah. Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. Underrated, I feel. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah. A great film. And underrated actor, I must feel. I know he's great, but I feel like he should My be... My lingo starting to rub off on you, like, s- underrated. Uh, uh, yeah, but I'm credit with credit's due. That's my <laughs> sort of thing. So, yeah, it's a film. Uh, it's about a, uh, a ghostwriter, obviously, played by Ewan McGregor, who gets tasked with the assignment of writing the memoirs of the disgraced or soon-to-be-disgraced former Prime Minister, played by my boy, Pierce Brosnan. Uh, it's oh, also got, in yeah, yeah, it's also got, uh, I think, Kim Cattrall. Yeah. It's got Eli Wallach, I believe, in, I think, is his last role. Ooh. I think it might be his last, yeah. just one sound. I believe he's playing a Robert a McNamara type figure. Yeah, it's based around, like, the political, I guess, flavour of the early 2000s with the Iraq war and all that stuff. But it's yeah. quite a, it's a good romp. Um, seeing as we're spending time at home, um, this is a perfect one for a, for a lazy arvo. So I'd recommend this. It's not... Polanski's best. We can all agree that that's Chinatown. Or Death and the Maiden. 
or Chinatown. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a good it's a good film. I think it probably went a little under the radar when it came yeah, out. Yeah. I think it's probably been forgotten about. But I, I think, think most of his films go under the radar. Probably, now. yeah, yeah. They kind of have to. Yeah, Carnage. I think was another one that kind of yeah. went yeah, by yeah. the wayside. But uh, yeah, this is a great film. A uh, great thriller, fantastic romp, and some some good performances. Sturdy Ewan's great. Pierce is actually good. He's great to see him in a in more, you know. What do you mean dramatic? he's actually good? <laughs> he's a good actor. He is Pierce, I'm sorry. <laughs> he was great in The Foreigner like, last yeah, year. Okay, yeah, I say correct. Good. Yeah. I say uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. Superlative. Jeez, I forgot he was in that too. <laughs> My God. Um, mine is, of course, a Stuart Gordon film. I, I have to just fully pay tribute to this guy on this episode, but um, film's called Dagon from 2001. This was a sort of reunion of sorts between him, Brian Usner, and Dennis Paoli. They all made Reanimator and From Beyond together, and it's sort of their third instalment of the Lovecraft trilogy that they did. So it was shot in Spain under Usner's fantastic factory company, and it's a very Lovecraftian, more than the others, about a group of friends that find themselves stranded in a small Spanish fishing village, which actually happened to worship the fish god Dagon. So it's just full of hideous creatures and humanoids and mermaids with razor teeth and it's body horror and it's very <laughs> maritime and I love the atmosphere. It's just, it's very wet and dank and, you know, it's just dripping in, you know, dank blues and blacks and I love it. I think it's probably Stuart Gordon's most unsung film and it was it sort of missed the mark when it got released. But now that the years have passed, it's got a massive following. I think people have really gravitated towards it as a horror film in general. So it was released on Blu-ray through Umbrella, but it's also on Amazon Prime, so it's very easy to come by. So thank you, Stuart Gordon. You know, I forgot to mention before, he's also the creator of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, yeah that was that was, that was on the tip of my tongue. And I'm like, I know he's done something else. Yeah. yeah. He's done a few kids' films, you know. Yeah. yeah. What a man. He's a man. What a man. <laughs> and his episodes of Masters of Horror was just amazing. So. Well, that's it for the show anyway. So thanks, Adam Ross, for sticking it out with us, mate. Thank you, fun. Adam. It's, it's great fun. It's been heaps of fun. It's, it's been, been great pleasure. having you here. Hopefully we can do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks to Gamma at Screen Realm. Kudos to Jarrett for his PE class. Big ups to Eagle Entertainment. And cheers to my own Blofeld, Keith. My pleasure, my friend. I'll bring the cat next time. <laughs> <laughs> that man knows how to stroke a cat. <laughs> next week episode is one that you do not want to miss. We'll be featuring the first half of a two-part interview with Hollywood director Michael Mann. So that's the guy behind Heat, wow. Collateral, Miami Vice, and so many more. Yeah. Um, the two of us are going to be chatting about his director's cut release of the 1992 epic Last of the Mohicans. Starring Daniel Day-Lewis. There we go. There's, there's another running motif through the episode. <laughs> so we're going to leave you with a Star Wars sign-off. This is by a group called Nerf Herder, and it's called I'm the Droid You're Looking For.
Trust 